This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today. Another exciting guest for you. This guy's out of Cincinnati area. He just started about less than a year ago. He's already got three parks. He's got two more on the way. Uh, father of three little kids. Please help me welcome my guest, Miles Nolan. Miles, thanks for being here. Oh, great. I'm, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. You're great, man. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got an MHP so we can, we can get to know you a little bit, and then we'll dive into some specifics on your experiences and your your lessons learned. Lessons learned. Sure, sure. I had a uh, small fitness business. also did some online stuff. It, it kind of went under. Uh, you know, it was hard. I, I got into uh, me- medical sales. Um and I was basically just studying for about a year and, and couldn't figure it out. I knew I liked real estate, but I couldn't, nothing really felt right. And uh, listened to a bunch of podcasts. And, and, and honestly, I started building a list at a VA in the Philippines. Um, and, but I didn't put a ton of time into it because I was working so hard. So it really took me a couple of years to kind of really study, feel comfortable and uh, really get going in the MHP space. And then about a year and a half ago, I, I had a little bit more time and I was able to, you know, dive in and really start cold calling, doing some more marketing. Um, and then things started to actually progress and, and get me closer to doing my first deal. All right. Great, man. So tell us in that, that first deal, uh, how you got in and then you, you found it to be a cold call sounds like, and I know you've also done a deal that's a master, be a master release. I want to talk about that deal as well, which I don't think was your first deal. Um, because that's that's a more complicated structure in some respects. And I'm just curious how you, how that deal in particular, but in general, how you, how you found your deals, and just essentially for our audience, there's a lot of guys out there that want to do what you you're doing. You know, you've got a job, you've got a young family. I want to do something for myself, entrepreneurial, passive income. Obviously, MHP is a strong asset class, and you you have found a way to get in and get in, and now you're going pretty quick. So tell us how how for the rest of our guys, how how do you pull it off, and, and how can we learn from it? Yeah. And I tell everybody, first off, it's, it's going to be way harder than you, than you think it is. Like if I'd have known it was going to be this hard, I might, <laughs> I probably still would have done it, but it was probably 10 times and it took 10 times longer than I thought it would. So um, I think a lot of people give up too soon um, when it gets really hard, but yeah, I made a, I made a ton of calls and what I said wasn't perfect, but I just tried to be really consistent. Uh, you know, I'd call two to four hours a week uh, over, uh, I just did about nine months. Um, and, um, I tried to target four hours or less from where I live. Um, this, this deal, I, I know a lot of people don't like West Virginia, but, uh, my family's from there and my aunt and uncle live in this, uh, this town, um, in West Virginia and kind of near Morgantown up, up North. Um, so I knew it and I've been there and, um, I found this guy who, who thought about selling, had good conversations. He's like, yeah, just come up and meet me. You know, I'll sign the contract. So I drove five hours, um, meet the guy, he gets weird and, uh, and he doesn't want to sign. And I'm totally frustrated. I'm like, I just took all this time, a couple days. Um, but he said, you know, I, I got a friend, he, uh, he wants to sell. And like this park was nowhere on my list. It wasn't on Google. 
Um, so I call this guy. It's a smaller park, 21 spaces, uh, 15 occupied, all tenant owned, city water, city sewer. Um, he's like, well, you know, I'll just, it's not that nice, but I mean, it's, you know, in a decent area right off the highway. Hey, I'll give it to you for what I bought it for uh, uh, 17 years ago, 180 grand, uh, wow. 20 grand down, you know, seller finance. I'm like, that's, you know, I know it's small and it's not right next to my house, but that's, you know, too good to, too good to pass up. And so, um, and the funny story about that is it took me like three months to get him to sign the contract. He finally signed it. It was like a, a two page contract, but um, if I send this guy a 20 pager, he's, you know, mom and pop, he's going to get overwhelmed and, and never right. sign it. So we got it done. And then, and the, I've been going around and around for about 14 months with the other guy and, and just got his park, you know, which is 45 spaces. I'm only five minutes down the road from this one under contract about six weeks ago. So that was where it was like a miracle, you know? <laughs> so now hey. we're going through DD on that one. So that's great, man. Yeah. Lesson learned there. I mean, persistence, obviously. And then you mentioned mom, Paul, I think that's, you're right. That, you know, you got to spend some time with mom, mom, Paul, sometimes they don't always care about the highest price. In this case, the guy didn't even make any money. I mean, and he's going to finance it for you. Most likely, he did that because you built a bond with him. He, li he liked you for one reason or another. Um, and, and that's great. You, you can get a better deal than me or the next one. That's, I love that, those stories. That's how, uh, that's how people, the, the new guy, the little guy competes is you're nimble, you're relatable. Um, I tell like my managers, um, we have a big park here in Kansas City that we were, we're basically, I said flipping, but we're, we're gonna keep it, but we, it's basically a major infill and we're competing within a mile against uh, Strive communities, Sun communities and RHP within about three miles. Three of the five biggest players, you know, Strive was from the old Frank and Dave portfolio, and we're just kicking their butt. And I, and, and I say, why are we kicking our butt? I said, one, we're, we're working all damn time, which is not the best idea, perhaps. But two, I said, this guy said, you are one phone call away from every single decision. Those guys have to go to committee, district manager regional manager, regional vice president to, to, to do something different. Like, hey, can we move this home two feet to squeeze another home? Hey, can we uh, can we fast track the permit? Hey, can we sell this home like this? Can I do a discount on this? Can, hey, this person wants to put two decks on the other side of the deck. There's one-off questions and there's, there's more complicated ones than that. Is this person approved? They got this, this. And the bureaucracy slows down the deal. So we get the lead, we, we get them closed, boom, boom, boom. And we've had several people that are down the, down the street at a superior park, frankly that Sun owns and they come to, Sun I guess recently sold it actually, but they come to us because we can get them in faster. We can move things faster and and so on. So it's just a, it's another example of your little guy, you know, competing against the big guys um, for something you do great. That That's awesome. Um, so tell me about the, tell me about the master lease deal. What's, I'm interested in what you guys did differently from a negotiation standpoint, as well as a due diligence standpoint. Yeah, no, you're right. The the nimble and the small can be an advantage. And a lot of people don't really think about that, but there is definitely like a, an advantage in speed. So I totally agree. Um, yeah. And the master lease, um, th this park was actually 10 minutes from where I grew up, just about an hour and a half from where I live now. And my mom actually lives near there. So I was able to, um, you know, bond with the seller over the area. He knew I kind of spoke the language. I knew where everything was. Uh, and it was, it was a follow-up process. First, it was COVID. Uh, second is the accountant went to, you know, Latin America for three months. It was, it was always something. So, it, but, um, 
finally he was ready to do it. And he, he had, he was a pretty sophisticated guy. He was actually, he's actually an attorney, but uh, he had, was really worried about his tax burden. And so, and he told us like, look, I have not done a good job paying attention to this thing. I'm supposed to be managing it for the last three years. I don't even think I've been there. Uh, I'm not, it's, it's bad, you know, and he told us that, um, but in the area, a half mile away, there's, it's just absolutely booming. It's, uh, you know, class A apartments, assisted livings, uh, retail, just stuff being a new home, $300,000 home, $400,000, you know, there's stuff's being built like crazy. So we really believed um, in the location. Sure. And, and honestly, I mean, I, I thought the price would be around one five, one six, um, but he, you know, he was stuck on one nine. Um, but in, in this situation, it, it helped him because he um, was really worried about his tax burden. Um, he was even offered a better deal on seller finance, but he knew that this thing was rough. And he, I, I talked to him so many times, emailed that he kind of trusted uh, me and my partner's experience to come in there and like spend a lot of time on it clean it up, make it better, you know, do some evictions because the, the tenant base was breaking rules really rough and uh, kind of get it into shape. And uh, this helped him uh, with his taxes. So we, we made sure we got a, a, an attorney in the state where the park was located who had some real estate experience to draw up, a, you know, an ironclad, uh, you know, agreement that really, you know, fit the state laws so that we, we, we knew that was really important. And, uh, and then we only had to put 8% down. So um, 150 grand down. So that was a benefit to us to get into the deal with a lot less money down. Uh, that was credited, will be credited to the purchase price um, upon refinance or sale. And, um, but unfortunately the, the monthly payments are not. So that's, you know, there's pros and cons for, for the seller and for us because we don't uh, technically own it yet, but we right. do have first right to buy uh, to sell it. Um, it's a three-year term. We can uh, we can sell it after year one or refinance after year one. We don't have to wait three years. Um, so there's some benefits there for us. Um, it gets us in the deal um, with lower money down um, in, a, in a great location. Um, it's also city water, city sewer, um, only a couple park owned homes out of, out of 64 homes. Uh, it's 79 pads in, in a great location. Granted, the tenant base is rough. Um, it's one of the, and it's, and it's direct bill. So all those things are like the bones of it are good, but, uh, you know, the, but you know, there's pros and cons on both sides. So, sure. No, I think that's good. I mean, one thing that I want to cover that you just mentioned is, in this case, you, you, you admit, you know, I'm paying more than I ideally wanted, but I'm willing to do so because of a different term, right? So that's how it can work with both parts. The seller, in many instances, prefers his cash price. This guy sounds like maybe didn't for his tax situation, but prefers a set cash price, but will agree to finance it perhaps for more money and for recourse or for some other certain some other certainty. So it's, it's a good idea. And, and I recently, we had a deal, um, we have 11 homes to bring in this new park. And I was evaluating, do I want to do used homes or new homes? It's kind of on the fence of being a new home community. It's a good market. It's just it's the community's a little tired. And in my pro forma, it made more economic sense to do all new homes 
even if I sell them at a $5,000 loss a piece. I got a lot of $55,000 eat for my 11 homes in my budget, but that's from a cash on cash for my investors for syndication. I only needed 55 cash to have 11 new homes. 11 new homes versus 11 used homes are gonna decrease my cap rate, give me a higher quality tenant, make the park look better, uh, have more staying power. There's some ancillary uh, indirect benefit, but if I'd have done 11 used homes at 20 grand a piece, that's 220K. So the 220K on the initial cash outlay was going to drag down my yield so much and impact that cap rate other ancillary factors that it actually made more sense for me to spend more money on more expensive houses. Not to mention, it's a lot easier to find new houses, order them, than to find used houses that fit the right sizes and all that. So it, again, that was me agreeing to have a negative one term, in this case, lose $5,000 per sale, which is what I thought I had to do in this market, in this trade area, in these sizes, lots, versus, you know, get new homes that have, you know, used homes, excuse me, they're cheaper, but then impact the uh, the cash yield. So that's that's awesome that you're, you guys are you guys are weighing those pros and cons. And I, obviously, ideally, you get the most best of both rules, but sometimes you get a stretch. You, you don't want to stretch, you don't want to pay more, shorter DD, worse reps and warranties, you know, more hair on the dog for the same price. You got you got to have something that's a, an offset. Um, and in this case, the market is great, particular bones are great. So that that's cool. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people are just looking for a cap rate on the front end. And I think maybe more inexperienced people do that. And, and that's the way I was for a while. But um, there's just so many more factors that go into play in terms of, of location, of terms, um, things like that. And there, there's so much competition now that you can't just say, oh, I want a nine cap like day one or, you know, you're probably not going to get a lot of deals. Um, so, I mean, just some of that creativity. Um, and, and we had uh, honestly another uh, master lease under contract uh, in Indiana and we, we dropped it and DD, it was so rough, the park, but um you know, we've we've spoken to some apartment investors that that, that have done that commonly, and uh, help us get a little bit higher level of comfort as long as you have an agreement in that state. You know, that's done by a good lawyer, and uh, it can just you know just just different creative ways to kind of help the seller out, but also getting the deal with uh, lower money down. Um, can kind of put you ahead of, you know, maybe somebody else bidding on that, on that deal. Sure. And while you're talking about master lease, and I didn't, I don't, you don't need to, I'm not going to ask you, I didn't work on your deal. Um, but I'll tell you, here's some mistakes that I think people sometimes might make on a master lease is they treat it like a lease instead of like a property they're going to buy. And they, and they, they cut corners on due diligence in particular on things like a phase one environmental and on title the title work. You can't get a title policy because you don't own it. Um, I, there might, I mean, you might be able to actually, I don't know, I've never um, asked title company that, but you can certainly run a preliminary title commitment and see if there are any problems because a doomsday scenario would be, you're making all these payments, you put this down payment down, you get ready to go buy it and the guy has bad title and you can, can't even sell it to you. Or then you figure out, you got a phase one environmental, it's a nightmare and you don't want to buy it and you just waste all time and energy. So I, I see people, I lost an auction one time and it was the same thing. I was the only guy 
and the 25 bidders that got to phase one. Um, they got second in the auction, but the next, the last, the other one didn't do it. Um, and the way that the terms of this auction were, you had to put up your money and you had to you had to close. There was no out, there was no due diligence. It was like you commit to buy immediately after the auction. And even in, I was like, well, I want to, if I'm going to quit to buy, I want to make sure I'm not buying a lemon. And there's only one phase one engineer in this trade area. And I hired him. I said, anybody else hire you for this? He said, nope. So I said, the other 20 guys didn't do it right. And, and so far I got away with it, kind of, so to speak. But anyway, that's, I just, that would be a, a moment of caution for our listeners that, you know, treat the mass release with, you know, the same lens you treat the purchase. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's just talking to you. I hope I'm saying the right things because I'm not an attorney, but <laughs> yeah, correct me. But, uh, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, we, we did a phase one, we, we did the title work. We just treated it like we were buying it because Great. that's the plan uh, down the road. So we were able to do all that and it, we didn't uh, uncover anything, but it, it gives you that peace of mind, you know? <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, that's the point. I mean, it's like, I tell people, you know, I've got life insurance and I didn't die yesterday. So did I waste the money? Or was I protected just in case, right? And uh, phase one, you hope you don't find anything, but you still have to. I've, I've, I've found I've had failed phase ones, I've had failed phase twos, I've had to dig up tanks, I've had to do um, geothermal imaging, ground penetrating radar, and none of those things are fun, and none of those things are inexpensive. But to some degree, that's the cost of doing business, um, as opposed to you know buying a lemon. Um, so. Anyway, that's good. But what other tips and tricks do you have? I know you've got other deals and you've got other experiences. What are you doing now in the marketplace to find new deals, for example? You've obviously been telling some of the bread and butter, cold calling, building your list, building your database. Any other secret sauce you're willing to share? Yeah, yeah. The, the list is gold. So, I mean, it, it is an investment to build a list. Um, I was busy, so I paid somebody to do it, a virtual assistant. Um, but you, you can't go wrong with that list, whether it's you or somebody else making the calls. Um, I've tried for a bit to have somebody else make the calls, uh, but it really just, it, it's gotten tougher because a lot more people are doing it. And so I'm in some of the states I'm in, you know, perhaps aren't as sexy as, as a lot of states, but that kind of helps. But also, um, you know, I, I, I think taking more of an indirect approach can really reap some benefits if you're looking at this thing long term. So, I mean, it's, it's not easy when you don't have a park, but um, just just being relentless, showing up, being willing to meet sellers in person is a huge thing. Like they trust you so much more if you can meet them in person um, and just playing off. You know, I called a lady yesterday. Hey, I own a couple parks. She interrupts me. I don't want to sell. And I'm like, oh, that's good, because that's not why I was calling. Um, who, who did you use to bring in homes? Because I'm looking at bringing in a couple of homes. And uh, she told me, and 10 minutes later, um, she's like, OK, I'm going to save your cell phone. Like, call me if you need anything, if you need any advice. It, it totally changed the conversation. Like, she doesn't want to sell. But someday, if she does, I, I feel like I, I left a more favorable impression than than saying, hey, do you want to sell like that? And then there's no way she's not going to want to follow up with me. And right. so I'll, I'll keep that conversation going. But being able to now being able to really hyper focus on areas where I already have a park and say, hey, I own this down the road. What would you do with this? And then by the end of the conversation, I'll, I'll work it around to, hey, have you thought about selling? Um, but but the feeling of the call is where I'm actually like 
getting their advice or providing value and everybody wants to give good advice. So that, that seems to have been, um, and for a long time, I'm just like, Hey, do you want to sell? (laughs) But I think the more and more people call, that's, that's kind of getting a little tougher. So I just try to leverage like anything I know in that area. Hey, my aunt lives there. I have a friend that owns a park there. I just try to find some sort of common ground to be a little bit different than than the other people, than the other people calling. And, and as you go more and more, you kind of get some more leads like via networking, by broker relationships from other sellers, or maybe you buy a park and the seller owns six parks. And now he's like, hey, would you want to buy these two others that I, you know, so the more you can dig in and, and, and just, I really feel like just getting that first park is such a huge lift for the, the confidence level um, the knowledge of, of like getting the whole, you know, process done. Um, and just, just the, the sales thing is just being relentless, honestly, and just, and, and, and following up and, and trying to, trying to add some value and it's not very fun, you know, it's really not, (laughs) but I mean, it's important, you know, you think about like, if I wouldn't have done that, none of this would have never happened. And every call I'm like, God sucks. I'd rather be doing anything else, you know, right now. So I think just, you know, it's, it's not easy, but um, there's nothing really more, more valuable. So. No, that's great. I mean, you're, dif- you're differentiating yourself, you know, you're building rapport. You're not just another guy calling. I get some of those calls and, you know, we sell and then, and then you get them that are disingenuous. So I think it's good that you, you find something that you can actually, you know, build a relationship with them. I'm like, hey, I, I own the park on the street. I, 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 did you see that the, the college is adding a new football program or something that's real? You can build rapport. I get them sometimes when people say, oh, hey, one of my uh, one of my clients, one of my investors, I just drove through your park. I say, oh, really? What'd you think about it? I love it. Oh, what'd you think about my new playground? Oh, loved it. I don't have a playground. Oh, <laughs> you know, you weren't just driving through my park. You're, you're, you got a California phone number, you know you didn't you know or, or a philippine accent like you didn't just yeah. drive you didn't just drive through the park you're, you're not building rapport right so you're doing the opposite which is great and you know some yeah you're, you're definitely right that there's certain, certain things that aren't fun but those are the things that set us apart right is what's i can't remember the exact quote dave ramsey has but basically do things now that no one else will do so you can do things later that no one else can do you know from a financial standpoint in particular it's, it's yeah i love that it's a mortification if you will or a, a uh, we live in a immediate gratification society, and you know, for example, I got out of college, had a good job. I could have went and lived downtown in a nice apartment, and you know, went out to bars and you know, had fun and all that, like some of my buddies did. But instead, I said, I'm going to buy an investment house, and I built a room in the basement, and I put another room upstairs, and pretty soon I lived with five guys. But you know what? I I lived for free, and I made 500 a month. And had a good job, saved 100% of my salary. I bought the house on the street, did another one, did another one. Pretty soon I have five houses on the block. And my kids, are, my, my friends are still determined they want to go to grad school. And they got no money, but they, you know, they chase women every night. I, would, I delayed that gratification and I saw the fruits financially. So that's great. You're, you're going through the, the pain, if you will, of cold calls, which I don't know. I don't know anybody likes cold calls, frankly, but it's a necessary beast if you're going to find deals when you can't compete on price, you can't compete on resume. You're not a private equity group. You're not a REIT. You don't have a team full of exit guys. You need to compete on, on you, on rapport, um, 
and on, on being nimble. And that's awesome to see success stories like yourself. It's great. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, um, and, and it, it opens it up just kind of the focus to, I was, I was targeting, you know, probably 10 States and I just couldn't do the follow-up good enough and I couldn't. And so now I'm just hyper-focused on the couple areas where I have parks and it also allows, I mean, we just got a, a like a 19 pad, you know, has a single family house and a little duplex on it, but that deal doesn't work. Like if it's just by itself, but we already own two parks, you know, within 30 minutes. And so that can work because of the, the, the scale of management. So it really opens you up to, uh, you know, more deals and, it was easy for me to build con and then I met the owner of the park that backs up to it. It's another 15 spaces. You know, I taught his daughter in high school when I was a high school teacher 13 years ago. So it's just like when you're in your area, it's a lot easier to find common ground. Sure. And then like all, all of a sudden that that little 19 space turns into a 30, 35 space because, you know, the guy going to sell me in a couple it, it'll be a couple of years but he's going to sell it to me in a couple of years and it's right next door so just little things like that just focusing on a you know a couple areas uh, allows you to really you know I think I have more opportunities um, find common ground and, and, and scale it and ultimately like if you ever want to exit um, that's what people want they want they don't want one random 30 space park six hours away and then it, you know they want the you know all right there so you ever want to sell it sure economies of scale it's, it's great man what other i know you've only had a you know a year or so of, of operational experience but are you any other tips or you've given us a lot of tips on um, the acquisition side and finding deals do you have any tips from any other tips or lessons with our operations or otherwise you want to share before we part yeah um i mean obviously that's kind of more my my role is the acquisition part of it but uh um Honestly, the money is not um, as important as a lot of people think it is. <laughs> so, like, say, for example, you partner with somebody that's mostly uh, bringing money, um, but people don't realize how tough the operations can be. And so if you have somebody doing that for you, that's great. They're worth their weight in gold. And uh, just know it's not a passive, it's not a passive, it's not an office building. It's not a, it's not a passive investment. Uh, so you're going to have to, you know, either if you're doing it yourself, you're going to have to put a significant amount of time towards like communicating with your manager, um, just learning, following up and doing things that aren't honestly that glamorous, but just know it's a very important part. And that, that really makes or breaks, especially uh, once you get a few more parks, you have to have some systems in place and uh, a good manager in place um, because you, you got to, you got to take care of the park. You got to fix things. You, obviously, number one, you have to collect the rent um, and just putting some systems in place where they can. It's more than just handing you cash um, is so important to really the success of your investment. So, I mean, that um, people need to know that that's really important. It's not just buy it and forget it. So, that, I mean, and I know I didn't give you a ton of like perfect details, but I just think just knowing that that part is really important and it's more difficult than. Um, people think it is, especially on these turnaround deals. Um, just know that going in. No, I think that's that's definitely wise. I, I was we're hiring a, a regional property manager right now, and I was telling my assistant who posted the job, you know, we're not in the real estate business. I used to be in the real estate business. We're in the operations business. 
mobile home parks are very management intensive, very operational. If you get a stable deal, maybe in, you know, 88 pads with 87 pole, no, no part of us. Okay, maybe that's just passability. I used to have triple net leases, right? CDS was a tenant. That was, that was passive. They sent a check. Every once in a while, there was something that there was a roof leak or something. For the most part, it was very low maintenance. Um, that wasn't as lucrative because there's competitive, right? So there's a lower yields. And, you know, those those deals are cheaper or lower cap rates. But but the mobile home park business, I agree with you. That's, that is a good advice. Since, look, don't get overextended because it's going to be management intensive. And if you're not willing to do it or capable of doing it, somebody on your team, whether a partner or an employee, needs to be competent in that. And like for my regional manager position, we put in there minimum three years mobile home park experience. In the last two days, I got 50 applications. It's a bunch of hotel guys, bunch of office guys. Like, do not read the description. I don't care if you have a lot of hotel management. I'm sure it's a great skill, but you know, it's not outside right now in four degree weather under a trailer with a salamander heater defrosted pipes. Okay, and, and and I got guys out there right now doing that. And I was out there on Monday, you know, with two pairs of long underwear on. Right, it ain't this ain't the hotel business, which is a, frankly a hospitality business, not a real business, but it's not the office business. It's 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 an operations business in my opinion. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's that's the reality of it. And that's part of the reason I think that the returns can be a little bit better too, because not as many people wanna wanna do that. That's right. All right, Miles. This is great. Any other any other things you want to share before we go? Where can people find you also before I, before I forget? Uh, if you want yeah, to yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm my website ain't quite done, but uh it's it's called uh Treeside Communities. And uh, it's, it's close. And then uh, same thing on LinkedIn, Treeside uh, Communities. So, um, yeah, just trying to grow that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, I think, it, you know, if you have a will to, like, really progress in the business, you, you'll figure out a way, whether you have a bunch of small kids or you have a full-time job or, or just find a way to do the things that, that matter most and, and be consistent, even if it's only a few hours a week. And I think, if you don't quit, you'll, uh, uh, you'll, you'll get one eventually. So. Sounds good. Thanks, Miles. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Ferd. Take care. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.